Okay, welcome to Cinealit. So we are here for another episode of uh, Film Goodiness. And here I am joined this week by uh, Steve Hatcher, head of the Hoovers. Head. In Derby, the, head. the overlord, sorry, sorry. Overlord of the Doctor Who fan group in Derby, the Hoovers. Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, 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 organisers of the Hooverville Convention at Quad, of course. Of we... course, of course, of course. Uh, the very, very successful Hooverville Convention at Quad. Half. Is Daryl still on holiday this week? Daryl is is fighting tigers in Africa, or he is somewhere like that. Every time I speak to somebody about it, he's he's doing something else. Hunting tigers down in Africa. Yeah, or, or in a Vietnam prisoner of war camp, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Maybe he'll be back soon. Daryl will be back soon. He's been moving Excellent. out, so... Good, good. His eyeballs, but we'll be back recording with Daryl fairly soon. But it just gives us an opportunity to talk Doctor Who uh, this week. We are going to look at the Doctor Who movies and failed movies and things that are described as movies but probably shouldn't be called movies uh, during this episode. This is, I, should, I, should, I should put my cards on the table and say, I'm, I'm, I, as though I enjoy film, I, am, I would call myself a television person, whereas, whereas some people are very much more movie people, aren't they? Yeah, but, like cats uh, and dogs, I, I, isn't I, it? <laughs> well, no, because, you know, one can enjoy both, absolutely. But uh, I'm, I'm a television Person, yeah. So, so how? So, okay, I guess maybe that's what we should go into. How long have you been a Doctor Who fan then? Well, the first Doctor Who story I watched uh, would have been in 1964, which was um, the Web Planet. Uh, six, okay. Yeah, 64, the Web Planet, episode one. But I don't think I saw the rest of the story uh, because the, the the problem with me throughout the 60s. I was born in 58, so I was f- just turned five when it first uh, showed when Doctor Who started. But my problem was that we used to, uh, as a family, go to my grand and granddad's house every Saturday night without fail. And my granddad was one of these chaps who would never, ever have the BBC on. He would only ever have ITV on. Um, I, I, For the life of me, I've no idea what the thinking was. Uh, the, the only thing I can imagine, because he could be a bit awkward on occasion, so the only thing I can think of is, is that he resented paying the TV licence, um, knew that he had to pay it, but thought, blow it, even though I'm having to pay it, I'm not going to watch the stuff. But that that, that channel-changing knob never got uh, altered in his house. <laughs> So it was. It was wrestling with Kent Walton, and it was. Uh, it was. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, to catch a thief with uh, Robert Wagner, and uh, and all sorts of things like that. So not uh, planet hopping adventures through time, then. No, the only time I ever saw Doctor Who was uh, if I was ill, and, uh, and we <laughs> either I or my brother was ill, and we couldn't. Go, go to my granddad's house. So uh, I Were must have been ill on that night. Yeah, there was there was then there was a uh, 1973. Uh, they did a Christmas omnibus of the Sea Devils, and also my grand and granddad's. We 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 spent Christmas at grand and granddad's, and we on the day we came home from from their house at Christmas. They only lived a few streets away, but we we went and stayed at their house every Christmas. The day we came home, they they put on the omnibus of the Sea Devils in the afternoon, and it absolutely hooked me. Now I was fifteen by then, so uh, I was a bit late, but uh, there we go. Cool. I think I think fifteen year olds were younger in those days. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get into Doctor Who until I was an adult, really. Um, uh, yeah. I was working. I mean, I saw it as a kid, but I remember, I remember I've got vague memories of things happening. I've got vague memories of Curse of Fenric. Yeah. Um, I've got vague memories of, of uh, Peter Davison regenerating into Colin Baker, but we didn't watch it as a rule in our house. And it was only when I got older and started suffering from insomnia 
I started listening to a lot of audio shows and audio radio shows and things like that. And Doctor Who had just started doing lots of um, original, big finish original um, audio plays. So I was like, oh, great, boom. And that's how I got back into I saw the movies. I saw the I saw the films at the cinema, the Cushing Dalit movies. Saw those at the cinema, and I know I had a pop up, not a pop up, a, a, a popomatic dice Dalit game, and I had the the the, the, the novel of Doctor in in, in uh, Adventure with the Daleks. I've forgotten the, the full title of it now. They did so. So what you're saying is they 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 did some merchandise for the Daleks. In the yes, system? absolutely. Well, this is the story of the films, isn't it? Because the Daleks appeared in the second ever Doctor Who story. The first one, the first episode had been brilliant, and the first story had been a bit, hmm, cavemen, huh? Yeah. Not that exciting. And the, the, the sort of the originator of Doctor Who, the head of drama, Sidney Newman, had said to the producer, Verity Lambert, you do what you want, but no bug-eyed monsters uh, under any circumstances. And he saw the script for the, the Daleks, written by Terry Nation, a failed comedy writer, and went absolutely through the roof. Terry Nation had just been sacked by Tony Hancock, so he, was, he hadn't got a gig. And, uh, and, and he pitched this, this Dal- the first Dalek story, seven episodes, and uh, it absolutely caught on. Kids, mm. it was, they were very um, imitatable by kids in playgrounds. Uh, the voice and the, 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 the one arm sticking out further than the other, uh, which I've just demonstrated to you, but of course no one can see that. Guys uh, of radio people. You, you. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But, but it, yeah, Dalek mania it's referred to. It uh, is, absolutely. I think, to be world. fair, though, everything was called mania in the 60s. Of course there was Beatle mania, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Dalek mania was shortly after supplanted by Batman mania. Yeah, yeah, Batmania. I think, yeah. I think, well, yes. Um, I, I was going to say I think it should be called Batmania, but but uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen it as Batman Mania, which is one man too many. I think. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get let's get into the movie thing. So, like you say, it was adapted yeah. from the seven part BBC serial, which yeah. had already been broadcast in 1963 and yeah. in 64. The key man is somebody called Milton Sabotsky. Milton Sabotsky from Amicus Productions. Now, Amicus. This is more my area, I guess, of expertise. Of it's actually more well, area of expertise, really. But he and Max Rosenberg had established Amicus, mm. and they'd just had a big success with uh, Doctor Terror's House of Horror, That's starring right. Peter Cushing and Roy Castle, amongst others. Uh, and uh, he was looking around for the next project, and and I, I think it's sort of assumed that Amicus was was intended to be a sort of a hammer rip-off and just do horror films. But Sabotsky was much more interested in what was going to make money for him than, uh, than necessarily uh, doing horror films, though it, it ended up going that way. Um, and he alighted on the idea of, hang on a minute, all the kids are talking about these Dalek things. Let's see if we can get the license. So, so he did. And uh, there was never any intention of casting any of the TV cast for us because they were busy making some television show or other. Uh, He had no interest at all in using Terry Nation to write it. He got in David Whittaker, the script editor, uh, to to advise him. But he basically took Terry Nation's script and and wrote it himself, cutting down seven episodes, seven 25-minute episodes, to a, a movie I think off the top of my head. It's about 80 minutes long. It's between 80 and 90 minutes long. It's not... It's not a long film by any means. 
No. So uh, a, a rather a rather vicious cutting job, but I suppose it says something that it is probably a slightly more coherent story than the original seven episode. Well, TV yeah, because that's version. one of the criticisms of the seven episode series. It's like it's probably two or three episodes too long. Possibly, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of escaping and being captured again, and that's sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is not a, a new. This was not a new trend. Obviously, Quatermass have been a yeah, massive success yeah. on TV. And yeah. those films, those TV shows have been transferred to the movies. So yeah. um, I, can, I can see why you thought, okay, let's let's mine that for a bit more, you know. Absolutely. But some of the changes were were fairly significant, I think. Obviously, we, we, we lose the fact that he's a Time Lord. Ah, well, we, ah, 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 now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you up on that straight okay, away. Okay, go on then. Be- because throughout the six, I mean, that is normally put forward as the big change that here's Peter Cushing, a human scientist and inventor who's invented the TARDIS in his backyard. Well, yes, absolutely. But during the whole of the 60s run of Doctor Who, the, the origins of the Doctor were never really um, were never really uh, told. We didn't know. Um, it's on several occasions during the 60s run where the Doctor is referred to as one of the humans and so on. It, it very much depended on who was writing it that week and uh, and whether the script editor noticed that that wasn't quite what was uh, was the plan. It wasn't until the last story of the 60s, Patrick Tratton's last story, The War Games, that Time Lords was invented. That's that's where that came, came okay. about. So it is uh, it's perfectly in fitting, in line with what had been seen on, on television at that stage. For the doctor I guess, but they do human. refer to themselves as travellers in the fourth dimension of time. So it wouldn't they imply are. that he's not just invented it there and then in the movie. No, well, no, that, that, that's, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. The biggest change, I suppose, was in the, the, the companions who carried on with the names from the TV show, mm-hmm. Ian, Barbara and Susan, but they were completely different characters. Susan was trans uh, was was trans trans uh, transposed from being the the unearthly child of the TV show, the the teenager, to the ten year old Susie or Susan, uh, played by Roberta Tovey, who, who is sort of a wunderkind, and is the Doctor's granddaughter still, absolutely. But Barbara is now another granddaughter rather than yeah. the, the 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 teacher that she's that she was on telly, uh, Jenny Linden as uh, as Barbara. Uh, as um, as as again, the doctor's accomplice and another granddaughter, and um, again, Roy Castle from uh, uh, Doctor Terrace House of Horror, as the bumbling Ian Chesterton, who's who's transformed from science teacher to bumbling boyfriend of uh, of Barbara. Yeah, you <laughs> do get that switch. Yeah, he's a harsh switch. If you've been watching a TV show, yeah. watching William Russell playing Ian Chesterton as a sort of stand-up guy, clever, the hero of the piece, the the of the piece. Yeah. and yeah. then you get yeah. Roy Castle bumbering he's around like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, that must have been a harsh. Possibly know, so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I think so. Yeah, that would have been the biggest uh, the biggest change. Yeah. So the, so the basic plot of it is that they get they they travel to another planet. They meet by Ian book. tripping over and hitting the the, the 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 starting switch. Yeah. Yes, the bumbling fool transports <laughs> them to another planet with the peace-loving Thals and the warlike Daleks. Yeah. Fighting an age-long war, and these our group of uh, time travelers get caught in it. Not so much time traveling there as more space traveling. 
Well, we don't know because we don't know what time they sure. landed on this planet, do we? But, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. No, we, the only the only explicit time travel we see in this one is right at the very end, where they're heading off, hopefully home again, and uh, end up um, b- uh, being uh, in the middle of a, an advance from an incredibly oversized and out of perspective troop of Roman legionaries on stock film. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> so the, the idea is they've somehow ended up in Roman times the wrong size or something. I don't know. That's, I don't think that's deliberate. So I, I first watched this on, I saw it on the big screen. I think you were in the audience that same when we screened it at Metro Cinema what, yeah. 20 yeah. years ago or something like that. With the original prints. Whether they were the actual 60s prints or whether they were the restruck prints from the 70s, either way, they were 20, 30 years old prints. Yeah. They were um, a mess, weren't they? They were a bit of a mess, yeah. Um, they were very jumpy and very uh, lots of scenes taken out. Yeah, um, yeah. But still very enjoyable. And the one thing that really struck me as being, and bear in mind, I was sat watching it with my Spanish friend who had never seen these things before, was the ridiculously long countdown. Oh, yeah, we were in giggles. We were in fits it was, it of was giggles. Ridiculous. It was like, I'd, I'd never noticed it. And loud as well, because it's a countdown to a, to a bomb going off, an atomic bomb going off. And Head Dalek is there with Doctor... Oh, that's the other big change from TV show, of course, that he's explicitly called Doctor Who. His surname is yeah. Who, where he's never called that. Well, he is sometimes called it on television, but <laughs> only by mistake. But anyway, Head Dalek is explaining to Doctor Who exactly what's going to happen. And in the, in the background, you've got 99, 98, 97. Really loud and intrusive. You do want several points for the Head Dalek to turn around and say, will you shut up? Do it in your head. Or something like, I can read. You do it's wonder a- what, what, what they thought the tension was by having such... A, a, a jarringly long countdown going on. Jarringly long and and very very Vocal. loud and intrusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, and that, I guess the, that darling was building up his part, wasn't he? Oh um, yeah. I, I guess the other thing that really stood out was like obviously it's the first time we've seen Daleks in colour. Yep, yep, absolutely. As a big change. Yeah. That was one of the big selling points of the film. Yeah. Now in colour, Daleks in color on the American <laughs> yeah. posters. Yeah, yeah. So that must have, that I mean that that was obviously. You almost need, it's one of those things where well, what else do you need? It's the same same adventure as, as you show on TV, but in colour. And that was enough to sell it in many ways. The, 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 doctor, in, the doctor, doctor Who in these first uh, two films were Peter Cushing. He is absolutely... There are two selling points to the film. Peter Cushing, one of the biggest British film stars ever, and certainly at that stage, at the height of his powers, absolutely lording it over Hammer, uh, who uh, Amicus were lucky to get from time to time. Uh, and uh, and Colour, those are the, the two big selling points, Daleks and Colour. Yeah. Um, and, and Cushing is absolutely wonderful in this film. He's, he's, he's not the crotchety old man that William Hartner was. He's a lovable old granddad who is seen at the beginning of the film uh, in his house reading the Eagle comic when Ian mm-hmm. comes in, which is, is a brilliant foreshadowing of what the Doctor was to become during the Patrick Jam times. He's got that sort of childlike quality to him that William Hartnell really didn't have. No. It's more of a movie-making sort of thing. I guess when you've got 13, 14, 15, 20 episodes of a series, you can start grumpier yeah. and crotchier and mellow over time and, and, and layer the story. Did. And in the movie... Did. Yeah, of course did, yeah. In the movie, you, can't, you haven't really got that time. You need to establish no. him as a, as, a, as a type straight away. And they do. He's got to be the nice guy, hasn't he? Yeah, he has to be, absolutely. Yeah. Theory, yeah. You 
yeah, 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 yeah. But he's, uh, he's, I, I, you see, this, this friends of mine who, 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 when we get into talking about Doctor Who, not Doctor Who fans, we can talk about Doctor Who. There are some friends of mine who think, uh, oh, I know, I'll wind him up by telling him my favorite Doctor Who is Peter Cushing. And he absolutely doesn't wind me up because mm. Peter Cushing is wonderful as the Doctor. And I don't know any Doctor Who fans. I don't know any Doctor Who fans who count the Peter Cushing Doctor as part of the canon of Doctor Who, although there is an interesting sideline on that later on. Mm. But, um, that, Nobody dislikes Peter Cushing as Doctor Who. He's 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 fantastic. He's lovely. Yeah. No, he's a great he's a great actor and well loved well loved British actor. And absolutely, did absolutely nothing wrong in that role. Absolutely, oh. if, if anything, oh. he brought it like, like you say more in line with what it was going to become. As a yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. If it had been fifty years younger, he would have he would have he would fit in as playing the Doctor now. He would. He would make a great dog problem. He yeah. might need to be more than 50 years. You'll get to play it now. But... So we carry on. Obviously, this 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 was a big success. Yeah, it's enough of a success. Yeah. yeah. We haven't, we've not mentioned uh, the, 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 another name as well, which is Gordon Fleming, who was the director. Because uh, Freddie Francis was supposed to direct it originally. Oh, really? It was a yeah, well-known uh, yeah. director, television director, Hammer director, uh, Amicus director. And so Beautiful on. cinematographer as well. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And he dropped out, and they brought in Gordon Fleming. Now, um, Gordon Fleming, again, mostly known for, at this stage, for doing uh, TV work. He'd worked uh, with William Hartnell on the Army game, uh, for one. And But he'd also done some of the uh, the sort of British pop films of, of, uh, of the era as well. The, um, uh, the yeah, uh, the, the sort of... British pop stars trying Just to do a an Elvis Presley type stuff and that kind of that stuff. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done, I think he'd done one for Amicus actually, um, if I remember rightly. But and of course he was the father of the actor Jason Fleming, who uh, we mentioned Quatermass uh, played Quatermass on uh, the BBC in two thousand and five uh, when they okay. did the live remake of Quatermass, uh, the Quatermass Experiment. So yeah, there's a connection. <laughs> And it was also in, um, oh, what was the TV show about the dinosaurs? Uh, Primeval. He was yeah. in one of the series of that as well. Jason Fleming, there we are. Is he a well-known movie actor? I don't know. He's relatively well-known. He Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels was yeah, probably yeah, his big yeah. thing, wasn't it, from the thingy? But... Yeah. So the, the movie purists who listen to this, who haven't turned off already, will uh, will know the name. <laughs> Fair enough. This is a lot. I think a, a tenuous connection there to yeah, modern, modern yeah. day, but oh, it's yeah. nice to go in the, the hills there. But uh, yeah, we, we move on to the second. We move on to the second, second film. film, which has got a few more major connections to future Doctor well, Who. Well, while they were making the first film, showing on the television was the second Dalek story, which we now call Dalek's Invasion Earth. The second film. Even drops the the title Doctor Who. Doctor Who and the Daleks, the first one. This one is Daleks, Invasion Earth, 2150 AD. No mention of the Doctor. But Cushing's back and Roberta Tovey as Susan is back. Thankfully, we lose Roy Castle's bumbling uh, hero, don't we? We absolutely do. We don't have to worry about a bumbling hero in this movie, do we? Well, except. Well, except we (laughs) have got a bumbling hero. But he's a. To my mind, he's a he's a much better bubbly hero. We've got policeman uh, Tom uh, Campbell, played by none other than Bernard Cribbins. Yeah, Bernard Cribbins makes his first appearance in Doctor Who 
worlds here in uh, 1966. We've uh, Gordon Fleming still on board directing, but we've no longer uh, got... Um, uh, Jenny Linden. Jenny Linden, thank you. We've now got uh, Jill Curzon. Yeah. Who played Louise, uh, another family member. We have a, a nephew of, of Doctor Who, so Louise Who turns up. Louise and, Who. Uh, <laughs> Louise Who. <laughs> Uh, Lou Who, uh, so she's not doing yeah. friends. Uh, yeah, so there we are. We've also got Ray Brooks in this one, fresh from his success in The Knack. Yeah. The, the, the publicity for the film had it. Uh, he's the boy with The Knack. They were, they were trading on that. Uh, we mentioned uh, uh, Quatermass. We've got a future Quatermass in Andrew Kerr. We do, yeah. Andrew Kerr is, is here, and uh, literally a year before he takes on the role in Quatermass in the Pit. And he, yeah, he's great value. He is. He, yeah, he, he plays the, the leader of the resistance against the Daleks, as opposed to the naughty Philip Maddock. Now, those, those of my age, if ever you saw Philip Maddock in anything, you knew he was a villain. Philip Maddock yeah. always played the villain. And well, he played, played the villain five times in Doctor Who, didn't he, now? Absolutely. So, you know, he, he, old hat at that. He was in more Doctor Who uh, episodes than some Doctors. Uh, it's it's fair to say he was, well, he it was is true, to, true to say <laughs> yes it is true he was an absolute legend in Doctor Who circles was Philip Maddock um, much missed and he turns up as the um, the collaborator who sells uh, the Doctor and his party out to the Daleks who have invaded Earth in 2150 AD exactly the title kind of gives it away doesn't it the twist it but, does uh... <laughs> it does the, the, all that survives is a few Sugar Puffs posters yeah, well, you know. In one of the earliest examples in a British film of, of product placement. Oh, right, okay. They, they had money off Sugar Puffs, and my, did it turn up on screen. They got the money's <laughs> worth, didn't they? Yes. The Daleks are attacking, but quick, eat your Sugar Puffs. Uh, it wasn't a line in the film, but perhaps should have been. <laughs> yeah, well, it wouldn't have been surprising, would it? Again, uh, seven episodes distilled to a, a shortish film. I think it's a stronger story, this one, isn't it? Well, I was going to say, most critics and, uh, and indeed Doctor Who fans prefer this film to the first one. Milton Sabotsky didn't. He had, he had severe reservations about doing it. He'd, he'd never done a sequel. He'd never done a sequel, and uh, this was the only one he ever did. Uh, he wasn't keen on the idea. Uh, and, I, you know, I prefer the first film. But it's look, it's, they're both absolutely lovely, and Cushing is brilliant, and and the Daleks flying saucer that appears in episode one of the TV show uh, is uh, considerably better realised here in the film than it was by chucking a soup plate across the, the set in the, in the first. Well, one. you know, you the can't TV compete was, with those budgets uh, on the BBC, zero, can you? Of course, so. yeah. of course not. Of course not. That's, yeah, and all good fun. And uh, Daleks in a mine in Bedfordshire. Big, a lot, lot made of it being in Bedfordshire, uh, as, as okay. in the original story as well. Uh, the Daleks' plan is to mine out the centre of the Earth by exploding a bomb there, and then pilot the Earth around the, uh, the, the around the galaxy as some sort of weird spaceship, um, a war planet. Yeah, it's a, it's an odd scheme, and the the the, the plan to stop it seems to be to get William Russell in the TV version and then Bernard Cribbins in the film to hide down the shaft where they're going to drop this bomb and catch it. <laughs> but at the same time, the Doctor programs all the Daleks to attack each other, which it's a bit odd how it happens, but it happens. So so all is happy in the end. Because the, the standout scene, I think, is probably 
right at the beginning, the Dalek appearing from underneath the waters of the uh, of the River Thames in destroyed London uh, mm. for no apparent reason. What the Dalek's been doing, scuba diving, presumably under the River Thames, is not explained. But there we are, and, and of course that is a major shock. That here we have a Dalek in a film called Dalek's Invasion of twenty one fifty AD. But I mean, I mean, I guess that's why I guess one of the selling points of this show on the t- when it was on TV and in the film is seeing those Daleks in familiar surroundings. It's a classic. It's a classic sequel idea, isn't it? You've seen the aliens on their planet and know they've come back to Earth, or you know, you have that familiar thing, you know. Well, it's in, in Alien. You have exactly the opposite, don't you? You start yeah. off on an alien spaceship, and then in the second one, you go to their planet. You, mm. Again, it's it's one way or the other. You have to do. Yeah, and then they've still not done the aliens coming to Earth, which I'm sure uh, that's high on the on the on the on the horizon. It has to be, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's, it's <laughs> daft that they haven't done that yet. They do it in Jurassic Park, of course, don't they? In the first film, you're yeah. off to the island, and in the second film, the T Rex comes to uh, the mainland United States. Yeah, it's running up and down Broadway, in, in yeah. Um, yeah. Santa Monica Boulevard, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, so it's a, it's a nice trope that they continue on in this movie. Now, this film didn't perform badly. It's, it's the, the, not in this country anyway. The, 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 the story is that it, failed, it, it performed badly and then that was the end of the matter. It sort of didn't. It did about as well as the first film uh, in British cinemas. But the, the distribution deal in the States went absolutely belly up. It, it, it was a, it was a de- desperate mess. The, the company that was supposed to distribute it went bankrupt instead. So it, 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 it made absolutely nothing in the States. Uh, so uh, Milton Sobotsky had sort of had enough and didn't want to do any more. Cushing went off and did a radio pilot for a Doctor Who radio series, okay. uh, which it didn't get made. And no one knew about this for many, many, many years. And then, in, oh, it would have been, oh, probably around about the time of the Doctor Who 50th anniversary, six, seven years ago that uh, the script for this radio series was found. The, the, the recording that was made uh, doesn't exist anymore. It's lost. But the script does exist. So um, we know something a little bit about it. And it would have been pretty much the, the, the movie cast would have gone on to do a, a Doctor Who radio. But nothing came. Well, that was, that was done quite a lot, wasn't it, back in the day? I mean, the Sherlock yeah, Holmes, yeah, um, as a Rathbone, did like 500 episodes of a radio show <laughs> alongside yeah, the movies. Yeah. So... Yeah. Cushing hadn't quite, because the sort of a third film with Cushing as as the Doctor, but only if you squint at it a bit. Um, I, I, I would, I'm going to point at 1976 at the Earth's core. Right. One of those Doug McClure vehicles uh, yeah, following on yeah. from the land that time forgot. In which uh, Peter Cushing plays Dr. Abner Perry, who is, is called throughout Doc or the Doctor, and plays the part and indeed dresses pretty much exactly as he does in the two Aru uh, Dalek films. Mm-hmm. So for Doctor Who fans who are, who are starved of more Peter Cushing's Doctor, squint a bit, look at, uh, look at, look at the Earth's core, and, and there's another dose there. Sabotsky hadn't quite finished either, because during the 80s, he wrote a screenplay, allegedly. Uh, he claimed that he wrote a screenplay called Doctor Who's Great Adventure, and the, his idea was that uh, either Tom Baker or John Pertwee would come back and play one version of a Doctor, and they would cast a young actor to play a second version of the Doctor. And he pursued the BBC for rights, and they told him, on your bike, Milt. Uh, so he, he, he didn't get anywhere with it. But that, there was that sort of a plan. 
Well, that lead, that leads us into some of the, I guess, some of the other near misses for Doctor Who. And I think the first yeah. major one that we want to talk about is the mid-70s Tom Baker attempt to make yeah. a movie called Scratchman. Well, Tom Baker was towards the middle. He was the early part of the middle of his seven-year run as, as the Doctor. And uh, he and Ian Marta, who had played Harry Sullivan on television, so it must have been at the beginning, actually. It must have been his first season. Mm. Yes, of course it was, 74, 75. Uh, he and Ian Marta had, had spent their spare time on set, sitting down and coming up idea, with ideas for uh, a Doctor Who film called Doctor Who Meets Scratchman. Now, uh, Ian Marta was a proper writer and, and, and wrote uh, TV episodes of things. He wrote uh, some novels, wrote some target novelizations of Doctor Who, but he was a proper writer. Tom Baker was the Doctor. So they sat down, they came up with this story, which involved uh, Doctor Who, the Doctor, Tom Baker's Doctor, meeting the devil and some living scarecrows, which of course was an idea that turned up much later on. Now, the plan was to, um, was to get Vincent Price to play the devil. And the names of Susan George and Twiggy were also mooted at various times. The BBC was sort of smiling benevolently at it and saying, yeah, you, you carry on there. I think it kept them busy during the breaks, during filming, and the BBC were quite happy for, for Tom to be kept busy and not making a nuisance of himself on set. But it wasn't, it wasn't unusual. I mean, during that period, we had a Porridge movie, we had oh, um, a Being Served movie, for goodness sake. We didn't get a Don't Who movie. For sitcoms, it was absolutely the done thing. Tom was very naughty because Tom went on uh, a, a, one of these interview chat show programs and was talking about the possibility of doing this movie and then happened to say, and if Doctor Who fans want this to be made, perhaps you'd like to send in some money. <laughs> and, and many, many, many Doctor Who fans sent in their pocket money to put wow. towards making Doctor Who and Scratchman. And Tom was told, Tom, you've been very, very naughty. That's illegal. We need to return it at once. <laughs> so, so there. Yeah, yeah it, it, I, whether this was ever really going to go anywhere, it... it, it hung around in development for many, many years. The Doctor Appreciation Society were absolutely convinced it was going to happen any time, right up to about 1977. It, it was still on the cards as a possibility till about 1980. But, but it didn't happen. Uh, and then, and then it, it, it finally, it, it was novelised last year, 19, uh, 2019. It, was, uh, it came out as that year's big Doctor Who novel. Under the name Tom Baker, Tom Baker's Doctor Who novel, Scratch, yeah. Doctor Who Meets Scratchman. It was actually written by James Goss, who was a very a proficient writer, uh, with Tom going, ah, occasionally as he looked at various parts. <laughs> ah. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, so the story came out basically because they'd, they'd run out of, um, They'd run out of Douglas Adams stories to uh, to novelise. Well, that well that leads us into that the second, the very nice one. into the second major adaptation. Oh, I'm, I'm good at these things. Uh, yeah, it's almost like we planned this scene. Um, <laughs> Doctor a, Who and the Doctor, Cricket Men. Yeah, Douglas Adams. It's sometimes forgotten that, Do that Douglas Adams was script editor on Doctor Who uh, for a, a year in yeah. uh, in the late seventies, and. Um, he rather liked the idea of doing a movie. I, 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 very probably the reason it never happened was Douglas Adams, because anybody who had ever worked with Douglas Adams knew that it would have taken him about 10 years to write the thing. 
was about to say, it wasn't one of his mottos. Was like he loves the sound of that sound as the deadlines fly by. Yeah, the whooshing sound that deadlines make. Whooshing sound that deadlines, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they fly by. Yeah, yeah. There was there wasn't a bath long enough to get this this film written. No, uh, which was again one of Douglas's big things. He he would he would lie in the bath for hours and hours. Yeah, but there were discussions with Paramount and with the BBC, so it, it was possibly going to happen. Well, it was first mooted before we became script editor in '76, and it was sort of on the cards until about '81. So pretty much at the same time as, as Scratchman was was okay. around as well. True to form, Douglas Adams never wasted a story though, because the, should you choose to read the third. The Hitchhiker's Guide novel, Life, the Universe, and Everything. That's basically the, the story that he was peddling as, uh, as Doctor and the Cricket Man. Right. That was, that was, that's, he reused it. And then again, true to form, the 2018 Doctor Who big novel of the year, again written by James Gross, was uh, uh, Doctor Who, the Cricket Man. So, uh, so the story did come out in the end as a novel. Well, it's it's uh, life, the universe, and everything. Uh, crossed out Arthur Dent and insert the Doctor. <laughs> okay. Pretty much, yeah. It's uh, you can enjoy both, of course you can, but you have to believe in parallel universes to do so. I think. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, well, I guess is into the eighties then, doesn't it? When Doctor Who was arguably at one of its low points, where it uh, was well, well, only in the ratings. The BBC seems to be going at war with it, you know. Um, after after the, the 20th anniversary in 1983, when Doctor Who was everywhere and was being lauded from every rooftop in the land, the, the decline was, was sudden and dramatic. And as you say, new management at the BBC, people who didn't appreciate the history of the show, people who looked at it, looked at it and went, but compared to what you were doing 20 years ago, this is rubbish. Uh, they weren't going compared to what we gave you to make it 20 years ago, we're giving you peanuts, uh, which was the obvious conclusion to draw for why it was not quite so wonderful in that period. But anyway, it, it, for whatever reason, it had lost uh, love of the BBC. And it did seem as if the BBC were keen to uh, work with anybody, uh, well, not work with them, but to palm off Doctor Who onto anybody who was... Uh, who was happy to make a movie out of it to, to avoid then the necessity of having to carry on making the TV show. And it's a, it's a long and protracted story that goes on from round about 1988, 89, uh, through to 1996, yeah. Uh, various companies uh, getting the rights, apparently, or maybe not, to make a Doctor Who <laughs> movie. Yeah. Well, the, the strange one that was the Michael Jackson rumor. Oh, what was that all about? Well, as if if I read if I read you a list of names of people whose names were of people whose whose names were attached to the part of the Doctor during this five six year period, then we've got Michael Jackson, Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> Either one of those would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Eric Idle, John Cleese, Dudley Moore, Bob Hoskins, Brian Ferry. Brian Ferry. These, these were all, yeah, these were all talked about in, in terms of directing it. Nicholas Mayer, who had done uh, yeah. the first Star Trek film he did. First uh, one and second one, I believe, as well. Right, okay. And talking of Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy, 
uh, yeah. the director of the third Star Trek movie, yeah, uh, yeah. Were, were supposed to, both supposed to be directing it for a while. Three main companies involved here, Coast to Coast, Green Light, as I said. Uh, oh, Tim Curry and uh, Donald Sutherland, forgot those as well. Yeah, uh, I heard, I heard Dalton, Pierce Brosnan as well. Wasn't Pierce Brosnan involved in well, one? I've not, I've not heard that one. That's a new one for me. Excellent. I heard there's a Pierce Brosnan one as well. There was a company called Dalton Rays who were involved who yeah. produced a script called The Last of the Time Lords, written by an established Doctor Who writer, Johnny Briggs, which was pretty horrible. I've got that script. Uh, we can say it now. Johnny, uh, Johnny Byrne is, is, is dead, so we can say that now. Uh, yeah, um, Dalton Rays. And, and it seems that while Dalton Rays had got the rights to it, um, the BBC were approached by Amblin, Steven Spielberg's company. Uh, and uh, the BBC looked at, Dalton Rays, Amblin, Amblin, Dalton Rays. I think we'll go with Amblin. So despite the fact that they've got a contract or they've given the rights, they've sold the rights to Dalton Rays, it is, should we say, it is alleged that they then had discussions with Amblin and, uh, and, and said, yes, yes, Amblin, you go off and make a Doctor Who movie. They withdrew the rights from Dalton Rays, uh, which some years later led to a court case. Dalton Rays, in the end, uh, went bankrupt. Uh, and uh, and sued the BBC for damages because uh, because of because of, of this action. Yeah, um, it's, I th- it was all over the Doctor Who magazines and everything at the time. Steven Spielberg to make Doctor Who movie? No, 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 no. Steven Spielberg was never more than very, uh, very uh, tangentially uh, involved. Yeah, uh, the the key guy was was a fellow called uh, Philip David Siegel. Philip Siegel who had uh, what was worked for Amblin, had been involved in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles uh, and one or two other things that they'd done. He was, he was actually British-born uh, and had loved Doctor Who as a child. He'd, he'd gone over to emigrate to the States. Uh, but uh, Amblin lost interest when uh, Philip Siegel left the company because he was the one who was interested and Spielberg sort of made a present to him. One of his leaving gifts when he left Amblin was the rights to make Doctor Who. <laughs> so, um, or, or any any Amblin interest in Doctor Who, let's put it that way. And we know what that led to. Well, that led to the, the Doctor Who movie from 1996, the TV movie, as it's known as now, but it was, I guess, a pilot at the time. Well, again, people say that, and people say, oh, it was a failed pilot and that sort of thing, but it sort of wasn't. Um, it was, they'd wanted to make a pilot, and they'd been told, no, we haven't got room for another pilot. Um, you can make a movie of the week. Yeah. Uh, the distinction is a bit, is a bit, uh, a bit, a bit unclear, but there was never a, a suggestion really that make this, make it good, and we'll make a, we'll make a series of it. Um, it's what's referred to as a backdoor pilot, that it's yeah. done as a movie of the week. And if somebody somewhere likes it, it might get picked up, but probably won't. There were certainly plans for, for what, vague plans for what they would do afterwards, but nothing. Well, just watching it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like it's a movie of the week. It feels mm. like it's a pilot. Well, except that they jettisoned all the cast apart from the Doctor at the end, didn't they? They, they brought well, they in... Well, they did, but what I meant was in the, in the way that the show was constructed, it's very mm. much in, rooted in the history of the show. They do tinker yeah. with things, but we see the Seventh Doctor arrive, he regenerates yeah. into the Eighth Doctor, 
you get that history of the show. You you get re- re- references to that. It's not like a, a a reboot. I mean, all the fans were going, "Hey, Sylvester McCoy's back! Hey, they've got Daleks for about thirty seconds. Haven't they got funny voices? Hey, the Masters in it, and all that sort of business." But that utterly sabotaged the film because for the first forty minutes, you've got this 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 guy running around in his little hat and his umbrella and all the rest of it and you the new viewers there are just getting used to that guy and he's gone he's dead yeah. and Paul McGann takes over the role uh, and for the next 20 minutes or so he's struggling to find out who he is before he becomes the doctor yeah um you've got a great companion in in, in Dr Grace Holloway played by Daphne Ashbrook yeah. Who uh, who is 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 brilliant? Uh, we've had it quite a couple of times, haven't we? Have, yeah, 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 yeah. Who's who's lovely? Um, you've got the master, the master played by Eric Roberts, which is an interesting casting choice. He, he's enjoying chewing the scenery in this in this role, isn't he? He yeah, really is he, humming it yeah. up. Um, which which is fine, you know. It's traditional for the master in some ways, yeah. As Absolutely say, traditional for the master. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I, I don't. I get the criticism. But yeah. if Eric Roberts says, here's, here's, here's the role of the master, here's yeah. a bunch of tapes of Anthony Ainley playing the role in the oh. 80s. I can see how we came to that conclusion. He's streets ahead of Anthony Ainley. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he's Eric Roberts, for heaven's sake. Of course he is. Of course yeah. he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they probably should have done, and I think probably they think with hindsight they should have done, what Russell T. Davis did when they brought it to television in 2005 and just have a complete fresh start and bring in the old elements a little bit at a time as it went on. Yeah. I mean, the the, the TV movie starts with a a voiceover narration. Uh, It was on the planet Scaro where my oldest enemy, the master, was taken to be put on trial by the Daleks. Daleks putting people on trial? No, they exterminate people, don't they? They don't mess about with trials. Uh, it's, it's it's the whole thing is 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 uh, tell not show from the beginning. Yeah, it's it's not a great way of reintroducing that character and indeed no. introducing that character to Absolutely. a new generation. Um, I, I think I want to I, I, I want to be clear though. I enjoy that TV movie. I think it's good fun. The Eighth Doctor Paul McGann is terrific. Uh, Daphne's terrific as 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 Doctor Grace. Eric Roberts is fine. It looks superb. The the new TARDIS interior and so on is is fantastic. But there was there was enough wrong with it. Um, there was, but I mean, I, the way I the way I look at it was like it's all very well comparing it to to Russell T Davies's roles or comparing it to the eighties Doctor Who. But what you really should be you should be comparing it to the Highlander series from mid nineties. You should be comparing oh, which I loved, to, which I loved. Yeah, but you should be comparing, comparing it to, to the shows that it was up against around that period. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Star Trek, yeah, Deep Space Nine, that kind of stuff. I feel sure it would have been a successful TV show. And it fits in with that. It, me. it got it got a, a good got good viewing figures in this uh, in this country. It got nine million watching it. In this yeah, country. people would people would kill their grandmothers for nine million now. So. Yeah, despite the fact that the, the VHS uh, release of it was a week before it was shown on television. Yeah. Despite the fact that the novelization was was already out. Uh despite the fact that uh well, whatever. It, 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 well, it I was I was working at block, working at Blockbuster video at that time. And that that VHS flew off the shelf. Absolutely I bought it. flew off the shelf. I, well I, I watched it 
because I bought the VHS when it came out. I don't think I actually watched it on broadcast because I'd only mm-hmm. seen it. We, yeah. Uh, I, I think it, it could have ended up with even bigger viewing figures if they'd organized that properly. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the way they'd, the way they'd uh, structured it, it was very much dependent on American money. Uh, it was filmed in, uh, in Vancouver, set in San Francisco. It was a co-production between Fox and Universal and the BBC. So there was a lot of Amer- American money as well as British money. And a lot of the rights were signed over to uh, Fox and Universal as part of the deal. Um, unfortunately, in the States, it was put up. Uh, it was shown in the States before it was shown in Britain, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was put up against season finale for Roseanne. Which, uh, which at the time was a very big. Can you imagine if it had been Bill Crosby or Michael Jackson against Roseanne? Yeah. The amount of hate in one uh, <laughs> in one evening on television would have been furious. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> and it was the episode of Roseanne where her husband Dan had a heart attack, which everybody knew was going to happen. So it was a big moment in the the history of Roseanne. Um, and uh, and there was this quirky British TV movie on the other side with this. Yeah, it kind of set up for failure, really, wasn't it, over there? It absolutely was. And it it didn't do well. It didn't do well over in the States. So Fox and Universal both said, thank you very much. Nice working with you. Off you go. But we will keep hold of the rights. Uh, And they kept hold of those rights for a good few years, didn't they, until... Massively. The BBC had actually to pursue those rights and get them back before they were able to make... The, the 2005 TV series when when the when the the 2005 TV series was first in in the playing stages I believe I've got this right the BBC weren't actually able to make it because the rights were still in the states yeah um, it certainly delayed things by a lot of years it, it was there was a lot of willingness to to make new Doctor Who in the BBC around 1999 to 2001 but they were not allowed to do so at the time. And it it uh, it took uh, uh, Lorraine Hegarty, the, uh, the 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 channel controller at BBC, to come in and say, "This is ridiculous. We'll get the rights back. You go and make Doctor Who." Mm. And back it came. And, and and maybe the time. I mean, oh, it came back in two thousand and five. Massive success, rating success, and it's still going now. Juggernaut again. It's yeah. it's worldwide famous as the show that's been made in the UK. Yeah. And it's gained popularity in the states and around that's, around the world. That, so that, that TV movie was was the bridge. That TV movie was the bridge, mm-hmm. and 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 people who have seen only the new series and only enjoy the new series can watch that TV movie and enjoy it because it's got the look of yeah. of more modern television. Come yeah. on, a lot's changed in the last twenty four years, but sure, yeah, it's yeah. got the look of more modern television. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's it doesn't look like. Sylvester McCoy or Doctor Who made yeah. on multi-camera video in studio. So we've got a new generation of fans watching and we get 50 years of Doctor Who rolls around and we have a big TV special, the Day of the Doctor episode, reuniting a past Doctor David Tennant with the current Doctor Matt Smith and a newly created missing Doctor in the guise of Sir John Hurt, former quad patron. Absolutely, much missed, much missed, much John missed, Yeah, and this this was a uh, who was deal. only in it because uh, it was only in it because Christopher Eccleston said no, and the original plan was to have uh, the original new series Doctor Christopher Eccleston come back as well, and he said ah, no. 
So, uh, so Sir John was cast as a new judge. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a nice, nice side effect of, of that not happening. I think it's created a whole yeah, interesting yeah. world there with, yeah. with that character. Um, the war doctor, now, this was, this was released as a TV thing, but it was also released simultaneously yeah. in cinemas. It was. It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that uh, one of the biggest uh, cinema events of all time uh, was a TV thing. Yeah. It, was, it was it was shown in over 100 countries, uh, uh, and in 94 of those countries, it was shown simultaneously with its BBC One broadcast. Yeah. So it, it has the Guinness World Record as the, the, the biggest uh, simultaneous TV event of all time, which is extraordinary. Um, it made uh, $10.2 million for the BBC, which is nice. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, see, I, I looked at it coming up on the cinema, and I know you had it at Quad and so on, and, and I thought to myself, Doctor Who, 50th anniversary in the cinema? No, I want to watch it at home. I want to watch it on television. It's a TV thing. Purist. I want to be a purist. And I really regret that now. I really regret that. Yeah. Well, it's like watching old Doctor Who episodes and not watching them on, on a small, crappy TV. Exactly. It's exactly <laughs> that, isn't it? Why would it's you do exactly that? Exactly. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, I always change the aspect ratio when I watch, uh, when I watch old... Uh, well, yeah, but you still, your TV is just bigger than it would have been in the... Yeah, the, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we get um, it in there and it's like... I regret it. it. And it is just a TV show. It is, it is yeah. not a movie where they reboot it and, and 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 you have to have watched the show and be yeah. familiar with the show to enjoy but, but the, it. so even more so i think is the is the 1996 paul mcgann tv movie it was a tv show it wasn't a movie yeah, they call right. it a tv movie but it was never intended for the cinema but this the the day of the doctor was yes it was a tv show but from the beginning it was intended for cinema broadcast as well it was uh, made, uh, there, were, there were two versions of it. it there was the, the 2D version and the 3D version. Do you remember the days when 3D was va- was was briefly popular again? It, it happens it, about it, every 20 years, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And uh, this, one's long, this one's hung around for a bit longer than it, than it usually does. But, uh, yeah, this bout of 3D. 3D TV didn't last very long, though, did no, it? No, it didn't. This time. It... <laughs> so, so, but they, they capitalise on that basically in the first five minutes of the show. Yeah, and then the rest of it, they kind of forget about the three D thing. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll get on with it. We, we've done our bit. We've done a bit where we poke the, poke the camera like that. You know, we were sticking to the front of the camera. We've done that, so we can crack on with the story now. I've never, I've still not not seen it in three D, but uh, there we are. I don't believe I've missed an awful lot by, uh, by no, that. no. But it was wonderful, wasn't it? It was, it was an. It's probably the only. Uh, episode of of 21st century doctor who that absolutely all doctor who fans thought was great it 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 was even people who had long ago fallen out with stephen moffat as uh, as head writer yeah. who didn't like matt smith as the doctor who hadn't liked david tennant whatever um it, it it was universally loved by doctor who fans um it it was it brought in every element you'd want it it, it was just Fabulous, and John Hurt as as the War Doctor was stunning, absolutely stunning. Yeah, no, he um, was great. I, I'm just so proud as a Doctor Who fan that he he's now one of ours. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I, I think I'm right in saying the last work that uh, John Hurt ever did before he sadly died was recreating the War Doctor for Big Finish Audio, which yeah, uh, not long, was, yeah, not was, long before, yeah. yeah. No, 
he was very ill, but he he felt that he could uh, he could do this because he was able to sit down and didn't have to learn it. And what's the future? Do we do we get a Doctor Who movie? Do you think? Well, a proper one, you know, a proper a proper one, a proper one. Because you know, the sixties ones were kind of like Dalek movies, and so in two thousand fifteen. I think it did it turn up on um, David Yates' IMDb or something, or did he say something in an interview or whatever? David Yates, the director of the last four Harry Potter films, yeah, um, it, it, it became known anyway that he was working with BBC America to make a Doctor Who film that he would direct that wouldn't feature any of the TV cast, that would be a complete break with continuity, totally different from anything he'd gone before. He was working with Jane Tranter, who had been one of the people behind getting Doctor Who back on television in 2005. And then it all went very quiet. And um, one of the guys uh, in charge at uh, at BBC in London said, well, well, he didn't exactly deny it. And he said, oh, we're working on an eight-year strategy for what we're doing with, with, with Doctor Who, an eight-year strategy, which could involve films and, and things. It's gone very quiet since, because I think there was a bit of an outcry from fans, but much, much, much more importantly, as I read from the comments that were made at the time, Stephen Moffat, the then uh, showrunner, wasn't in the slightest bit keen uh, on the idea of having a parallel movie franchise happening at the same time as his TV show. Um, mm. But it's never happened, has it? You, you don't see a, a, a big screen Doctor Who adventure whilst the show's still running? Probably not. I th- and I think that's the key, that there probably will come a time again when it goes off television for a protracted period. Looking back on it, it probably didn't do it any harm at all going off throughout the 90s. Although the harm it did do is the whole generation of kids who never had the Doctor growing up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, like, when you look at some of those early, the, sort of the late Sylvester McCoy ones, Great. you start to see Rose, the character yeah. of Rose, in yeah. Ace, and you yeah. start to see that sort of, like, long-running arcs through the storylines coming into it. There, yeah. Well, it was, it was the, the arrival, because for, for people who don't know, there was a, a very long-running uh, producer of Doctor Who in its last years, John Nathan Turner, who was producer of Doctor Who from 1980 to 1989, the last nine years of the, the show. His strength was not story. His strength was getting it on the air, and uh, making the most of limited resources and publicising it. And he was great at that. He relied very much on a succession of script editors. And it was the arrival of the last of those script editors, Andrew Cartmel, in, uh, which almost coincided with the casting of, of Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor, that saw the, op- the, op- the upturn. Um, it took a few stories to actually kick in, but those last three series, when Sylvester was the Doctor, are streets ahead of where it had been before. I mean, I'd look, Peter Davison and Colin Baker, this is by no means a criticism of, of either of, of them or of the other people who were involved uh, in the show uh, as, as, as actors, as performers at the time, because they were doing their best with what they were given. But look, it's got its fans, but a lot of us found the Davison area to be pretty boring and the and the and the Colin Baker era to be um oh not very inspiring at all really. 
I think I think the problem with it is like the the, the ones that Andrew Cartmel was involved in was very modern in the sense yeah. that he was bringing modern writing techniques, modern oh, yeah. script TV techniques to to yeah, who yeah. in the eighties, where the ones in the early eighties and mid eighties felt like they were just recycling stuff from this, written in the same way as they write them in seventy three, and yeah. worlds yeah. moved on, you know. With with significantly uh, less resources as well, fewer resources. Yeah, um, there's there are, nonetheless there are some good moments in the the early half of the eighties. Absolutely are, but there are there are very few stories that stand out as being, should we say, classics. Yeah. But uh, it was definitely on the upturn. You'd got you'd got as you say, Ace by by the lovely Sophie Aldridge. You'd got Sylvester, who was a, a doctor who was very much in the in the Patrick Troughton mould, uh, but again different. But in the, mm. in that that type of Doctor, the quirky sort, um, very much on the upturn again. And unfortunately, it was just at the point where. Well, the BBC had already decided to get rid of it before either of those were cast, before Andrew Cartmel came along. They were just looking for the opportunity to do it. And in the end, they thought, sod it, let's not wait for the opportunity. Let's just cancel it. Mm. And well, that's, that's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, cancelling it allowed it to become back bigger and better. Yeah, yeah. In some ways. Yeah, you know, I mean, it also did. it's one of those stories where it's just a great idea for a TV show. Mm. But it's why it's still going now. There was no point them still carrying on to make it if the only people who were committed to it were the people who were actually involved in the making of it. Yeah. If the hierarchy at the BBC thought it was a pile of rubbish, it sort of, they hadn't convinced the, the hierarchy that it wasn't. It sort of had to finish yeah. uh, and then come back when it had got the support to do the job properly, which is what it did. It did, and here we are now discussing it. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Lovely yeah. one. That's, that rounds it off. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about well, who. Thanks for having me. That's, the movies. That's, that's been lovely. I've been learning a lot about the cin- about cinema from listening to the podcast, so it's it's nice to take part. It's very good. good. <laughs> cool. Lovely. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Look forward to getting back in quad soon. Yes, absolutely. We're reopening fairly soon, 7th of September, so we will be back up and running then. Looking forward to it. 